Blog Talk Radio. Happy Wednesday night, everybody. You know what time it is. Sports night. I'd like to introduce our panel. Good friends of mine. Everybody's on the panel. Good friends of mine. Slash Sarasota. Slash New Jersey Shore. Mr. Don Henderson. Hotlanta, Mr. Roger Hendler. And Sarasota, Mr. Frank Carroll. And in Tampa Bay, 
Mr. Roy Cummings. Roy, I got a funny story for you one day. I'm leaving the, I'm leaving the lightning office one day. It, it was Monday, it was 4 o'clock. I don't want to battle the traffic, so go, guess what course I played? I'm going to say the Abbey course. <laughs> yeah. Yep, the Abbey course, and it, it was in pretty good shape. And there was no one on there, but it was in good shape up there. So <laughs> that was my surprise to you for tonight. <laughs> the Abbey course. <laughs> Greens are always good there. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but if you're trying to, fight, like, like the owner Tom said, you know, a couple of years ago, how bad the course was. You had to find, you had to take a rug with you, hit the ball off the rug. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah. But anyway, anyway good evening, gentlemen. <laughs> How's everybody doing this evening? Doing good. Everything, everything, everything is beautiful tonight. No problems at all. I'm sitting here, beautiful 72 degree weather. Where, where could it be better than this? Not only golf course really? today relaxed me, but uh, Roy, uh, a couple of interesting points with, with the Buccaneers before we get into some other topic. And then uh, Godwin, I guess, would be uh, a little bit. I got to think that number 12 had a little something to do to put a little push on keeping Godwin there. What do you think? Yeah, I would think so. Um, you know, we hear a lot about uh, some quarterbacks who are upset that they're not uh, – you know, consulted on, on personnel moves and that kind of thing. And um, But I, I got a feeling that Tom Brady was definitely consulted uh, in this case and said, all right, if we can lose this guy, this guy, or this guy, you know, which which one do we have to keep? And, uh, you know, I'm sure he kept – he decided you got to keep Chris Godwin. And, you know, rightfully so. I mean, you know, you're only an injury or two away from, uh, you know, from, from really relying on your depth at every position. And uh, I think there's a way to probably get a deal done with some of the other players. Or, you know, they already have a deal done with Levante David. I think there's probably a deal to be made with Shaq Barrett. Um, but Chris Godwin is, uh, is a player who clearly, uh, you know, he's, he's, one of the, he's one of the ten best receivers in the NFL. And some people might argue on the top seven or five. And, um uh, and it's not. And he was like he was already headed in that direction before Tom Brady came around. So uh, he's a guy you want to keep around, and um, you know, especially as Mike Evans gets into you know years uh, seven, eight, nine, that kind of thing. And clearly, you've got uh, some elder statesmen at the tight end position, and uh, Cameron Brate now, and uh, obviously Rob Gronkowski is coming back. So you want to fortify uh, those positions, and number one, you want to keep the players that you draft. And, uh, you know, when a player earns a contract, uh, hopefully you've got the money laying around somewhere to give it to him, and the Bucks do. And, uh, you know, this is in lieu of, uh, you know, trying to see what he can get in terms of a, a bigger deal, uh, obviously a greater term, longer, uh, longer extended uh, deal. And I'm sure that'll be worked on as well. Um, this could be just a, you know, a path towards, uh, towards that contract. Um, but with the uh, salary cap down, uh, with 13% or whatever, uh, you know, it, it's quite possible that they wait until next year to worry about that. Now they can't. So, uh, and concentrate on some of the other players and keeping the core together. So, uh, yeah, I got to think Tom Brady had something to do with it. And, uh, and, and well, he should. I mean, let's face it. Tom Brady, uh, at least in terms of the offense, probably should be able to pick uh, some of the players he wants around more often than not. He's, uh, he's certainly proven that uh, he, he, can, he can justify his, his choices. Roger. 
Yeah, I'll tell you, Roy, I, you probably saw it, and I guess maybe everybody did. Uh, today the NFL came out with the uh, comp picks, and I was looking at the uh, the Bucks, and they're down there with the uh, Eagles. They, you know, they lost three players, and uh, they uh, and they gained Tom Brady. So uh, they're going to get um, uh, they get one uh, compensatory uh, pick. And uh, it's down, you know, like in a what is it, the sixth round, I think, because that's the uh, the yeah, that's in the sixth round. And um, Atlanta uh, has one in the fifth, and they also uh, uh, have uh, they uh, got uh, one in the sixth, and the Eagles have two in the sixth. So, you know, what, what how, how, do you have any idea if they've ever done a survey on uh, how these compens- compensatory uh, picks come up or, you know, winds up, uh, are they uh, sometimes good, you know, all-time bad or what? Well, they're, uh, you know, I, I, I have, I'm sure there has been a study done on uh, how many of those players make it. Uh, the numbers are probably a little bit less than, uh, than the average. Uh, I would say probably maybe one out of three or one out of four of those compensatory picks end up making it. You got to remember, as you said, most of these guys are, you know, third round, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round. So you're already, you know, kind of up against it a little bit. Um, you know, is it really compensation for losing uh, a, a player, uh, you know, who's, who's, who signs a, a big enough contract to, to get you the, the compensatory pick? Probably not. But, um, you know, it's a system and everybody's agreed to it. And, you know, they, um, you know, there, there's probably some value there. Again, it, you know, what often happens if you've got a couple of uh, compensatory picks in a sixth round is you can use those to, uh, you know, you pair them with another player in the third round perhaps or a pick in the third round to move up a couple of spots and get a player you need. Um, that's usually what's done with the – a lot of times that's what's done with these. And, you know, uh, general managers certainly value those picks. Uh, the more you have, the the you know the better opportunity you have of uh, finding that um, you know that that diamond in the rough. Uh, so uh, they're valuable commodities. There's no doubt about that. Probably more valuable valuable before the draft uh, than two years afterwards. But you know, it, it, a lot depends on how you know how you how you work with them and what you turn them into. Um, you know, sixth round picks. Well, I think Travis Kelsey was a sixth round pick. Uh, you know, there's a lot of players that have made it to the NFL out of the fourth, fifth, and sixth round. It, uh, it doesn't mean you – well, exactly, yeah. There, there's a lot of players who've made it, you know, from those middle rounds where these compensatory picks come from. And uh, anytime you got a shot at somebody, uh, you have to take advantage of it and, uh, and work it to the best. I mean, that's why you have scouts, and um, it's their job to, you know, make sure the picks uh, picks turn out for you. So – Every team is uh, happy to have those extra picks. You know, it is a matter of what you know. What do you do with them? Look, the odds are against you turning them into uh, star caliber players. But hey, even if all you ever get out of one is uh, is a guy who plays special teams for you for two or three years, well, you didn't do any, You know, it didn't cost you anything to get it, really. So, uh, you know, it's not a bad deal. Roy, your thoughts on uh, the Dallas Cowboys? Mr. Jones finally weakened and. Uh... Four years, $160 million for a quarterback that couldn't play last year because of injury. Uh, he held off, he held off, he held off, but he finally came up with the money. 
Yeah, it's um, – I got to think that Jerry Jones at some point, you know, some places is, is kind of kicking himself for, you know, not doing a deal earlier and saving himself some money because he's, you know, he's got a, he's got a quarterback who's another year down the road, got another injury on top of him. Uh, and we know don't really know that much more about him now than we did, uh, you know, when the, when the first negotiation uh, started up. So, you know, it's look, this is the going rate for quarterbacks in the league. Um, this, to me, is proof that uh, I've given the choice. I, I think you hold on to the player that you know something about and has at least proven, you know, uh, that he's capable of winning in this league. Uh, not necessarily winning big, but capable of winning and, uh, you know, carrying your team, uh, then, then cashing in your chips and uh, going for another quarterback. Um, you know, I, I, we saw it, obviously, with, with Carson Wentz a little bit in, uh, in Philadelphia. They, you know, they, they took a different route, obviously, and went ahead and drafted a, a potential replacement, and then, they turned, then now they're turning to that replacement. We'll see how it works out. But, um, you know, it would be a word of warning to, to the Cowboys, or to the uh, Jets, I would say, you know, that are, you know, constant, contemplating moving uh, Sam Darnold. You know, you know, you, you know a little bit of what you got in Sam Darnold. If you believed in him three years ago, what makes you think the kid coming out of college now is going to be that much better? You're probably right. better off, you know, rewarding yourself for having invested the time and effort uh, into developing the quarterback. And if you still believe in him, um, hold on to him. You know, if Tom Brady hadn't come, become available, I think James Winston would still be a Buccaneer. Um, yeah, I don't think the Bucs would have won a Super Bowl with him. But, um, but still, he would have been a Buccaneer. And, uh, and I think there's, there's something to be said for that. Uh, because, you know, do you, do you honestly think that someone is better? Um, you know, look, we all think that uh, the kid coming out of Clemson this year is, is going to be far and away the, he's the best quarterback in this class. And there's a couple others that people are excited about. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, everybody's excited about these quarterbacks. There's a lot of excitement about Mitch Trubisky and Jake Allen and, uh, you know, a lot of other, you know, Josh Allen and a few others. And so um, it, it, about one out of every five of these guys really makes it. And uh, if you're lucky enough to get that one out of five, you know what? Good for you. The rest of them continue to spend their, uh, a lot of time trying to find that piece. And if the Cowboys believe they have that piece, and I don't think there's any reason to believe they don't, uh, you'd like to see um, – you'd like to see the team get built around him better. And I think the the real concern here is not the money that goes to the quarterback. He's going to have to earn that. But in a, in a year where the cap is going to be down, you know, you're now going to pay $40 million to this particular quarterback. It's going to keep you from getting pieces around him. Um, and, and didn't Tom Brady just prove yet again that by taking less money at the quarterback position, you're allowed to build around the quarterback and, and therefore build a better team that's capable of winning. I mean, I think a lot exactly. of players and their agents lose sight of what the ultimate goal is supposed to be, uh, which is winning a championship. And uh, it becomes all about how much money they're making. This is the highest paid player at the position right now. This is the contract that every that is the benchmark. Uh, there's too much concern on about that from agents and players and not enough concern about, okay, how do we make this work where I stay, I'm happy, I'm paid properly, but we can also build a team around me that's good enough to win. Um, that, you know, we, again, 
we saw that happen in Philadelphia where they didn't have the money to build around it, and now they're kind of rebuilding. So we'll see where it goes. Dallas may end up being in the same spot. Roethlisberger did you the know, same I'm thing. I, I thought he'd take a little bit bigger cut than he took, although it took a little bit off the cap to give this room in Pittsburgh. But uh, very, very interesting to see, as you said, we've talked about it for the last couple of years. The guys that want to win are more than happy to take a little bit of a, a slice off their money to try to get people around them. And, uh, you know, that, that's what you got to do because you can't put all your eggs in one basket, have a great quarterback and, spend all that money, and then you have nobody, no money to pay anybody else. Yeah, That's you're right. right. And, and you know what? Having said all that, it's easy for Tom Brady, uh, you know, to, to, to cap himself at $26, 25000000 million, whatever it may be. Um, he's made that, you know, for going on 20 years <laughs> now, so he's made his money. It's easy for Ben Roethlisberger to do it now. It's easy for Drew Brees to have done it. it you know, it's easy for Philip Rivers to do it. They've made their money. Um but it, it's a little bit more difficult for a, a Dak Prescott who's already been hurt once, um, you know, for a Patrick Mahomes who you never know, you know, how, how much longer you're going to be in the game. Tom Brady is, is uh, he, he's the unicorn. I mean, let's face it, uh, it, it doesn't happen that often that you play as long as he does. And uh, you can t- continue to make, you know, average $25 million a year. I mean, if, if Dak Prescott knew he was going to make $25 million a year for the next 15 years, he'd probably say, hey, you know what, I'll – I'll, I'll take you know twenty five million as opposed to forty, and to spend fifteen million dollars on, uh, on on old linemen and, and a better receiving core and a better defense. Um, uh, he could you know he could do that. Um, it's not as easy to do when you're young and you're you're trying to make sure that you you don't leave this game, uh, you know, with your pockets uh, you know less full than they they could be. So, a lot of factors uh, that have to be considered here. Um, not, you know, it's it, none of it's easy, but again, it, it, you know, I just I'd like to see a few more agents and a few more quarterbacks um, take just a few million dollars less here and there to see the team around him get built better. Mm-hmm. Donnie, yeah, I agree with you, Roy. I'll tell you. No, I agree with you. Agree you know, even Russell, Russell Wilson, guys, even Russell Wilson. You know, that team looked very good at the beginning of last year, and then as the time went on, it just it didn't have the pieces. And we saw it in L.A., you know, with the Rams. You, you pay these quarterbacks all this money, and, you know, it just compromises your ability to build around them. And at some point, you know, at some point somebody's got to figure out a system where you can pay the quarterback properly and you can build around him properly, uh, or we're going to continue to see the same, you know, five, six teams in the playoffs every year. You know, Roy, that's a great point. Okay, I was just going to say, the re, uh, the uh, the other day I uh, heard the statistic that the Falcons spend $2 on offense to every dollar on defense, two to one. Wow. And so that makes it difficult to, you know, to build a team. The other uh, thing mm-hmm. I was going to bring up uh, was more of a report that uh, supposedly Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick had had a uh, conversation when, you know, Spygate and everything. And he, uh, Kraft asked him, uh, he said, on a scale of one to 10, how did that help you? And he says, one. And he said, then you're an idiot. <laughs> to Belichick. <laughs> I heard that That's the other day. Captain Happy, Davis and Belichick. 
<laughs> That's pretty good. He's probably trying to downplay it. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's right. At all. Exactly. It was no big deal. Well, then you're an idiot. <laughs> That's, yeah. a, that's a, a no-win. Well, really going back no to Winston, uh, uh, interesting, you made that point that he would, may, would still be the quarterback uh, of the Buccaneers. I'm I'm not so sure about that, but uh, I'll, I'll <laughs> slide to your expertise. But uh, I want to know if Bruce, if Breeze decides to retire this year, this really seems to be coming up to uh, a point where we don't really know whether he's going to do it or not. Uh then I would think if if you're correct, Winston would be the guy. But they're not saying Winston's going to be the quarterback to replace him. No, and what I meant about Tampa was that, you know, outside of free agency and outside of Tom Brady, I mean, James Winston was arguably the best quarterback in free agency last year outside of Tom Brady. Um, You know, it wasn't like the Bucs offense. I mean, granted, there, there there was obviously a major problem with Jameis Winston the year before with the 32 interceptions and or 30 interceptions. Um, but let's not forget the defense was, was very weak. Uh, they still had no kicking game. Um, you know, good quarterback play, uh, you know, can hide a lot of those problems. Um, and well, do you think he's going to be the starter? Do you think he's going to be the starter in New Orleans? Do you think he's going to take Breeze's place? <laughs> well, I, I think that, I think what will happen is I think they will open up the competition between him and uh, and 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 number seven, and, and they'll say, okay, whoever the whoever the better player is, well, we'll see who the better player is. Um, it was kind of, you know, made known last year that if uh, if something happened where they had to turn to a quarterback right away, um, they would uh, they would probably go, you know, to uh, to uh, the quarterback they went to. And Winston would get passed over. But if there was if there was a moment where, you know, if it happened in training camp and Drew Brees was out, it would be more of a competition. I think that's what you'll have now. Um, you know, they, they didn't bring in Jameis Winston just to you know tell us what Tampa does on third and ten. Um, right. They brought in Jameis Winston because they think he's a capable quarterback. And uh, you know, you get he didn't really didn't get a chance to prove that. But I, I think if uh, the decision is to you know, move on with, without Drew Brees. I think there will be an open competition, and, and rightfully so. There should be. What happens if uh, Russell Wilson goes oh, to you. the Bears, which is uh, what they're spe- strongly speculating now? That's got to free up either Foles or uh, Trubisky, uh, you know, uh, with the Bears. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, look uh, – <laughs> If I'm choosing between Jameis Winston, Nick Foles, and Mitch Trubisky in free agency, uh, I'm taking Jameis Winston. I've seen what Nick Foles can do. Uh, I love him as a relief pitcher. Um, I'm not a big fan of him as a starter over the course of 16 games. Uh, Same with Mitch Trubisky. Um, I just think, again, I think Jameis Winston, you know, he's got some abilities that other people don't have. Um, right. Yeah, he threw a lot of interceptions, but uh, you know that's going to happen when you're when you're when you're down two, three scores all the time, which he always was. Um, again, mm-hmm. put Jameis Winston in there with uh, you know with a team around him that's uh, that's accomplished, and uh, you know I'm not saying he didn't have talent around him, he certainly did, but he also had a defense that couldn't uh, that couldn't stop anybody, and he had, as I said before, he had a kicking game that couldn't uh, couldn't accent the offense in any way, so. Um, you know, put him with a team that's that's capable of uh, playing three phases of football, and 
and I think you'll see a better quarterback not taking the kind of chances that he had to take in Tampa, and I think you'll see uh, better numbers out of him. But we may never see that. Who knows? We may, we never, I mean, again, you know, go, we, you guys watched Philadelphia all last year. I mean, was Carson Wentz as bad as he – is he as bad as he really looked in some of those games? No, not to me. Some other people no. may have a different opinion, but he had, he had no protection. He had no weapons. Right. The defense was adequate at best. Um, when you put a quarterback on a team like that, they're usually going to play just about adequate at best. And so little is paid. Football really – This is the thing about football that really bothers me is that they call it the ultimate team game inside the building, but everybody knows it's a quarterback-driven league. And, right. again, mm-hmm. if your team is no good, guess what? Your quarterback usually ends up having more pressure on him than anybody else. He ends up making, mm-hmm. trying to make plays that he shouldn't make. He makes mistakes as a result of that, and the pressure right. builds, and the you know the animosity against him grows, and uh, teams basically say, you know what, he's not the answer. Let's move on. Look, look at Chicago. Years ago, they 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 jumped through hoops of fire to get Mitch Trubisky, and now they right. now they decided Mitch Trubisky's not their guy. It's not that Mitch right. Trubisky's not the guy. The team around him is no good. That's right. That's right. Well, Roger, well, Roger the thing point. that's interesting is that the Giants seem to be building in the right way. I, I don't mean they're going to jump out and be the dominant team in the East, but I don't see where the Eagles, and you uh, you just left Philadelphia, so you're closer to it than any of us. I don't see where the Eagles are making any judicious moves to improve Don, that ball club. Don, there is so much controversy in Philadelphia now about the Eagles because of Jeffrey Lurie because he's been calling shots uh, on selection of the uh, draft and everything. And they think now uh, the other, uh, the other day, Chris Mortensen came out with a, uh, uh, it was a report about it. And he, he said he doesn't have enough time to go into the details about Lori and their friends about Lori's influence now on the draft. Supposedly it was Lori that wanted Rager. Okay. When Howie Hmm. Rosen didn't, but Howie's taking so much heat now that that's why yep. Lori is finally uh, coming out to try to divert some of the uh, pressure and some of the criticism. Because it's not Howie, it is, but it's not as much as everyone thinks. But listen, when yep. you have a guy by 30th Street Station on a construction project taking panels of wood and planing, uh, painting on the wood panels up on a big skyscraper, and fire Howie, and then he's on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> this is the old days of Joe Must Go. Must Go. It's the Border Bucket That's Show. Before Roy's time. <laughs> Roy wasn't oh, born yet when Joe Kuharis was Joe <laughs> Must Go. Last, last question for Roy, and that is that, you know, Chicago did the same thing that Cleveland did. I mean, Cleveland had all those picks for five or six years right at the top. And they just mm-hmm. couldn't pick the right guy to do anything. And uh, it seems right. like the Bears are in the same situation. They've gone five or six years where they keep making changes and this and that, and none of them are any good. <laughs> well, you're right. A couple of things. Um, you know, look, Baker Mayfield has done some things at quarterback, but you know what? Almost any of the other quarterbacks they picked, some of the other quarterbacks, I'll say, could have done the same thing. They built. They finally built around him. They've got good tight ends. They've got very good defensive players. They've got a running attack. They've got some receivers to throw the ball to. 
they built around the quarterback. They built the team better. And unlike in Philadelphia, and I hate to give you guys this bad news, but there's nothing you don't know. (laughs) The owner got out of the way. When the owner starts playing GM, it gets screwed up. Look, there's a reason the Cowboys are just really another ordinary team in one of the worst divisions in football. Because the owner plays GM. It's happening in Philadelphia. You've seen it in Washington where they haven't done anything since the Gibbs era. You, you saw it in Indianapolis until that owner got out of the way. They weren't winning. Now, now they've got a chance. When the owners step in and try to play GM or president or some other position that they shouldn't play other than check signer, the, the, the team just suffers as a result. And that is where Philadelphia is headed, guys. I hate to say it, but Absolutely. if Jeffrey no, Lurie is going to stay involved, that's what's right. going to happen. Well, Roy, we'll close it out on this half hour right there. And Tony Leodore sitting in the wings, ready to go. Thank you very much once again. We touched on so many different topics. And uh, we'll do it again next week, same time. Thank you very much. Have a great week, Roy. Thanks, Roy. Thank you, Roy. All right, let's jump across the white line. And uh, Tony Leodore, who uh, our traveling golfer, to say the very least, does a great TV show in Philadelphia. And also a radio show in Philadelphia and has done for so many years. Uh, Tony, uh, we see three uh, or two great tournaments back to back. The one in concession. I'll have you talk about that first because you know more about concessions around here than, than anybody. And then, of course, the uh, the uh, tournament this last weekend at, at uh, uh, in Orlando. And uh, of course, now we're coming up for the big tournament. They want to make it. Up. They've been trying to. They get a, a tournament uh, to dominate, but they haven't been able to do that yet. Give us start with concessions and go from there. All right. Well, first, good evening, Don, and uh, hi to all the boys who are sitting around the uh, bar stools there, where, wherever they are. They <laughs> good to hear from a, you. <laughs> Thank I know you, you have a, a group there, that's for sure. It's uh, – it's, it's a great time for golf in, in Florida. I mean, let's face it, we, we had three weeks ago the Corn Ferry Tour, which I know is minor league, but that got things started over at Lakewood National outside of Sarasota. The concession, uh, I guess they actually say that's Bradenton, but it's right on the line, Bradenton, Sarasota. The Jack mm-hmm. Nicholas design, uh, Jack Nicholas Tony Jacklin co-design, which um, Colin Morikawa, you know, Gave notice to the world, I'm not just a flash in the pan. I'm here to stay. I'm one of the bright new lights in golf. And, and he did it on one of the toughest golf courses in America. I said it the last time we were pre- previewing that, Don, one of the five hardest golf courses I've ever played in my life. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, you know, that was, that was pretty impressive. And then you top it off with Mr. Excitement, Bryson DeChambeau and his win, by one shot at the uh, Bay, Bay Hill Invitational, Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill Country Club outside of Orlando. And it was just, I mean, he electrified that crowd. And, and I stress that crowd because there were live people there to watch the tournament and watch him hit it across the lake that we, we could, we'd be afraid to, to sail across it. <laughs> so, so uh, Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and Tony, I'll tell you, you hit the nail on the head. He's he's brought so much personality in a short piece 
in oh. a short time to the name he's of really golf. I mean, he's put it back on the front pages. And as you said, I mean, in a couple of the practice rounds, he tried to hit the ball over the lake and had to win the guess and it fell short. But when the tournament started, I mean, holy smokes, he just lit the place up. Yeah, it was it was swashbuckling Arnold Palmer style. And, and, you know, to do it at Arnie's tournament was was mm-hmm. incredible. If, if, if any of you have ever been to Bay Hill and you saw that lake, you wouldn't even dream of it. You would not possibly <laughs> even dream of it. We were playing yesterday at the Meadows Country Club in Sarasota, and there's a hole that has a long uh, lake down the left side, and that was only a 320-yard carry. Mm -hmm. And we stood there and said, could you imagine hitting it 50 yards farther than the the end of this lake? I mean, when you stand in front of a body of water like that, you you get to realize how incredible that is. And, and yeah, he's – He's he's the new excitement in the game of golf. But his reaction when he hit it over the lake on Saturday the first time right. was so genuine and authentic. It was it was the exuberance of a of a, a a kid. Well, not a kid, a man child. I mean, he was that was great. That was great for golf. <clears throat> and then we followed up with the Players Championship this weekend. I mean, how how special is that? Um, uh, let me let me throw a trivia question out to you guys. There a movie trivia question, uh, or at least a, a remembrance. Does anybody remember the movie "The Day the Earth Stood Still"? I remember the say that. I do. It was it was a science fiction with that title. Yeah, it was a science fiction movie from the fifties. Uh, a, a spaceship landed and aliens. And uh, everything in the in the country is shut down. Cars wouldn't run, motors wouldn't run, mm. nothing. Well, tomorrow is the one day anniversary of the real life day the world stood still. That's, right. that's the day the loudspeaker announcement came over at the Players Championship, ladies and gentlemen. Please, in an orderly fashion, go to your cars. The tournament has been postponed. Uh, you'll have to go home. Uh, everything's safe, but you have to leave immediately. And right. that was the start of the shutdown. Yeah, yep. one year ago. Yeah, can you imagine? Tony, well, I, 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 want, I, I, I wanted to tell you, uh, to get it uh, into a personal uh, note with you, uh, Mr. Henderson uh, has reported that uh, you put on a tremendous <laughs> show singing Sinatra music. I am, have now uh, publicized you to some of our good friends, including my best oh, friend, Dan Baker. And uh, yeah. he he did not know about this. And now I think the next step is uh, that uh, we get your schedule on the traveling golfer and set up the uh, venues for you to put on while you're doing the golf that night you can do your show because I I wish I could have been there to see it because I Don said it and Elaine they just enjoyed it it was tremendous and none of us had knew wait till this gets out to the sports writers about that we have a real a vocalist uh, you know that's in the membership well thanks Rog um, it, it, you know that was another thing that got shut down over this last year I, I mean I did way less 
performances than I normally do. Thank goodness it's opening up and I'm getting busy as all heck. I'm I'm doing two this week that mm. happen to be uh, involved with Jan Stevenson, World Golf Hall of Fame, the great mm. LPGA star Jan Stevenson. She, a number of years ago, well, and actually five years ago, started her own line of wines. She uh, works with a vineyard in Paso Robles, California. She has a great winemaker from Australia that she works with, and she started her own line of wines, and they have become incredibly successful. And And it really is some quality wine. So now she tours around and does these wine tastings and tells golf stories and those kind of things. So on uh, tomorrow night, I'll be with her at her club at Tarpon Woods in Palm Harbor, Florida, uh, for her wine tasting. And if anybody wanted to go to that, they still could. You could just call up Tarpon Woods tomorrow and, and get a ticket for it. And they, they really put on a, a very nice show, dinner, wine tasting. Everybody goes home with a bottle of wine. If you wow. ask Janice, I shouldn't say it, but if you ask Jan to sign a bottle of wine, she said never says no. And oh. uh, then on Saturday, she's going to be down here in Sarasota at the Meadows Country Club mm-hmm. doing another uh, wine tasting there. So we have that. I have I have a number of, of events coming up, uh, but unfortunately, a number of them happen to be private parties. I just ran into a, a, a string of, of people hiring me to do private parties, but anybody wants to can go to singinggolfer.com. It's just like traveling <laughs> golfer. Well, it's yeah. singinggolfer.com and the schedule's on there. Um, there is a very special Mother's Day show that will be on, on um, Sunday night, May 9th at Paradise Grill in Nokomis. And, that, um, and that's where you were, Don, that came down on Valentine's Day. So we'll be doing Mother's Day down there. And then there's some others that are going to be popping up too as People are starting to open up. But I, I, over the years, when I did all this stuff up in Philadelphia and Atlantic City, uh, I, I did it a lot at, at a lot of the country clubs. And, um, you know, it just is a good venue out on the patio, nice weather. And, and the crowd usually enjoys that kind of music. So uh, down here, some of the country clubs didn't have real big outdoor venues. Um, weren't able to really do this lately because they didn't want as many people inside. But now things are finally opening up. Everybody's getting their vaccines. I got my shot number two on on Monday. Yeah, I got mine yeah. yesterday. Don, you got yours yeah, yesterday got, too. I got mine yesterday, and I'll tell you so. Now I don't even want the ten percent you offered me for this. You know, just you keep it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right because you don't need the money. You're Mister Big. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Billy put that out there. Right, Frank? He's Mr. Big. That's right. That's what Billy says. I have one question for you, Tony. You know if if Jan has any any, uh, anything that goes for about $2.50 in a brown bag, because I'd like to get some for Tommy. That's his his favorite time. (laughs) No way. She is strictly top-shelf girl. And, you know, she also has her her own line. She uh, works with a distillery in Utah. She has her own line of flavored rums and they're available at total wines at, at all the total wow. wine stores in the area jan, jan stevenson okay. flavored rum they're delicious and tony i just let's so since we're talking about the women here all of a sudden how about the Cur- curtis girls i mean now they play out of sarah bay sometimes and 
uh, they practice here a lot. But uh, they, the two sisters won tournaments back to back. I mean, uh, yeah. they're, they're they're coming on like gangbusters. They they are the hot name in women's golf right now. Of course, they were just up the road a, a piece at Golden Ocala last week. A phenomenal right. Ron Garl designed golf course. Ron based in Lakeland, Florida, and uh, a terrific architect. And that, that's maybe his best work up there, Golden Ocala. And that, they they uh, they they're turning the the uh, world on its head. I mean, you know, hey, listen, we haven't had. Uh, as many we've had glamour girls over the years in, in golf, obviously Jan Stevenson was the first and the greatest of them. Uh, anybody remembers that famous poster of her in, in the bathtub filled with max fly golf balls and nothing else. And uh, <laughs> she, uh, but you know, we, over the years we had, you know, we had Natalie Gulbis and, and uh, you know, the, the Pink Panther, uh, Paula Kramer, and you know we've had uh, some some glamour girls in golf. If you're allowed to say that, I probably you know I probably get canceled by the cancel culture for saying that now. But um, <laughs> it, it's it's good to have that. The, the quarter girls are bright, sharp, intelligent, smiling people who you know the, who bring a, a good good. Face to the game of golf, and the younger of the two, the younger of the two has only been out there for I think what a month or maybe about six weeks, something like that. Yeah, she's she's uh, she's only twenty years old, so <laughs> that's pretty amazing to think that. But you know, they sometimes peak earlier. I mean, Michelle Wee peaked real early. She probably peaked when she was seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, but she never really. She, she never really fulfilled what they, you know, they were so, had such great anticipation. She was going to play on a men's store. She was going to do this. She was going to, she, uh, you know, and I, I, you know, I don't mean that she's not a good golfer, but she never lived up to what they were, the hype they tried to, tried to give her early in her career. No, a lot of, a lot of uh, pressure. And then it started with some distractions and then it started with some injuries. And, you know, you, you, hey, isn't that isn't that sort of the same road Tiger Woods went down? That's right. I forget which came first, the distractions or the injuries, but anyway. Right. Well, you know, I always loved uh, Anika uh, Sorensen. Uh, oh yeah. You know, because uh, down at uh, 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 at the shore, you know, and we talked about it before, Tony. You know, the uh, McDonald's uh, tournament, mm-hmm. and uh, that's when I met her a couple of times. Uh, and interviewed her. She was just so nice. I mean, just would take the time and, and um, you know, talk about anything that you wanted to talk about in uh, golf. Yeah, in the beginning, she was very, very shy. Uh, so what, it, it took her a while to become a good interview. But, you know, later she became very accommodating and <clears throat> a very polite, nice person. And, and uh, when she was in her hot stretch, arguably, uh, she was as, uh, as dominant. I wrote a big magazine piece one time on you know who don't tell me who the best athlete was tell me who the most dominant athlete was in their sports and by that I mean for a certain stretch so much better than anybody else at their particular time and and Annika mm-hmm. was in that discussion of, of the top 10 you know I mean when you talk about dominant I mean the, the example I brought up uh, 
that everybody forgets, but there was nobody more dominant than Babe Ruth, not in 1927 when he hit 60, in 1922 or three when he hit 59. That mm-hmm. year he hit more home runs than all the rest of the teams in baseball combined. That's amazing. <laughs> that, that, you know, that was pretty dominant. Do you remember when – Hold, hold the fort, Roger. Hold hold the fort a minute. Our, our time is up on this segment, and uh, Tony, uh, you know, just hold on to that ten percent. We're going to have you back on again, and uh, we didn't even get a chance to talk about this weekend's event, which is really a tremendous, tremendous golf course and just a lot of fun to play. And the island, of course, is is uh, you know everybody knows about that, whether they're a golfer or not. But Tony, thank you so much. Good luck with the traveling golfer. Good luck with the radio show. And uh, keep it going. And the singing. All righty. Thanks, Don and Boyd. Take care, Tony. Thanks, Take Thanks care, Tony. Thanks, Tony. See you all. All right. Steve Cantella's ready to go down. We're going to switch down. We went from Steve. football to golf. Now we're in the baseball in the baseball park, and uh, he's got a little bit of a bad back, so he can't stay with us <laughs> too long. But Steve, welcome to the show once again, and uh, a lot of activity on the baseball front over the last two weeks. Yeah, but real quick, let me. Uh, I was I just listened to the last guy, the golf guy, talk about how good Babe Ruth was. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that one season. Now, there's a statistic that they compile for every player um, in baseball: OPS, you know, on base plus slugging, mm-hmm. and then it's normalized to that year and the rest of the league. So anything over 100 means what percent better are you than league average? So if you're a 125. You know, offensively, you're 25% above league average. <clears throat> now, right. today's baseball, you get guys like Mike Trout and Mookie Betts and a few others that will pop 185 or 165. And a couple of years ago, Barry Bonds popped up around 198 or whatever. You know, Babe Ruth, for about 12 out of you know, 13 or 14 straight years, was 200 to 230 on the OPS+. Mm which means he, offensively he was 130% better than league average. Um, that is unbelievable, and it's a fun statistic because it, it enables you as a fan to compare Babe Ruth in 1921 versus Miguel Cabrera's triple, triple crown year and see how good you know each guy was relative to the rest of the league in that season. So, that's, I just wanted to drop that in there because sometimes, you know, the, the statistics, people say, what the heck is OPS plus? Well, that's what it is. <laughs> well, you, 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 know, you, may, you may not know this off the top of your head, but I would like to know the comparison with Lou Gehrig in that field. <laughs> yeah. By the next time I talk to her, I'm able to shoot over to Frank. I'll, I'll shoot over the numbers. It's a fascinating way to look at players, and it just normalizes everything so we can compare players in, in one season, but the players from 1930s to the 60s to the 80s to today. For instance, in 1968, you guys can probably imagine that statistic, OPS Plus, was pretty – there wasn't a lot of guys doing too much that season when the pitching was so dominant. Well, I'll tell you, Steve, Roger, just, to follow, just to follow up on, uh, uh, on the Babe Ruth, uh, Robin Roberts, uh, who was my favorite uh, player of all time, uh, had a, a, sh- a TV show in the off season on uh, Channel Ten in Philly, and uh, I used to go every week. And uh, one of the uh, trivia questions that uh, and you'd win a prize was uh, who came closest to Babe Ruth's sixty home runs. And you know, guys were throwing out everything. 
uh, every you know every name of uh, players, big name players of that era. It was Babe Ruth '59. It was a trick question, obviously, <laughs> but that was it. Now the other point I wanted to make is I just saw the bulletin that came across the uh, screen uh, tonight that the Rangers have announced that they will have full capacity for their opening game at Arlington. Wow! And have you seen that? What have I? What I've seen it. Yeah, I, have, I you, it no, have you seen that? The, yeah, the I, Texas saw Rangers. I saw it earlier today. Yeah, I did. I wonder if mm. that's a sign of things to come for baseball in general. Well, you know, I, I'm sure what they're doing is that's April 5th, and I'm sure they're being a little active, taking a look at how many vaccinations are being given, what's the pace. Uh, you figure your entire security staff, your entire stadium crew will will be vaccinated, you know, and you can, you know, mm-hmm. try to get everybody in there. But it's it's kind of an uplifting thing, and we'll see if it actually comes to fruition. Um, who knows if it really will. You know, at, at some point between now and April 5th, either things could go very positive and the pace and the acceleration of the area can get saturated in the vaccine, or maybe they, it slows down for whatever reason. Uh, and they say, you know, we got to back this off to 75% just out of uh, the, the speed that we expected didn't really materialize. You know, well, they're trying to Steve. They're trying to get Madison Square Garden to do the same thing. They, uh, you know, they're very upset now that uh, you know they've been held down for so long. They they wanted to have many, many more fans in for hockey and for uh, basketball at Madison Square Garden, and they're working very hard. I don't know about full capacity, but that they, they want to get way up there. You know, society's working really hard to uh, uh, to get things back to normal. Um, and, and in my opinion, the sporting world getting back to normal would do us all a good amount of normalcy. I mean, what I, you know, I want my athletes that are out there, the baseball players, the hockey players, I want them to get vaccinated so that when I, you know, I, that would seem normal. You know, seeing that we have a game on Tuesday night, you know there's going to be a game on Tuesday night. You know, right. from a societal standpoint, that would feel really good. So we'll see how it all how how it all unfolds. But I'm just looking forward to getting back to baseball. Uh, having spring training games on in the background has been has been delightful, and there has been a lot of stuff going on. So let's get to it. That's right. Let's get to it. See what about the Cleveland Indians this year? They they got a chance to win that Central with that tough division up there. No, they're not going to win the Central this year. Uh, that offense won't pull them across the finish line, and the pitching's not deep enough in a um, as it has been in the past. Uh, they're right. they're doing what you know they're doing what I like organizations to do, and that is don't do the Baltimore Oriole or Detroit Tiger um, and go into 100 lost seasons. You know they've already done their trades each and every year. They they've got some really exciting young players, and I'm not talking about mm-hmm. A ball players. I'm talking about major league ready guys. But right. that offense. Well, they got two. They got two players back yesterday who you know it's got to be a big help right there. Brand Mill and Jose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but they got some other guys, you know, that that are going to take some time. They just, you know, the the lineup has changed over, and in my opinion, that lineup won't compete. You know, the roster of the Cleveland Indians in the Central, and I won't stick to it too long, is not going to be able to compete with Minnesota and Chicago, who really are, you know, poised. Uh, to put up, a, you know, put up a pretty good fight. 
Uh, Detroit's going to be a little bit improved, and Kansas City will be much improved because they got a lot of young arms coming up, similar to the Miami Marlins last year. Um, but the Indians are not bad. Um, they have a chance at a wild card if things go well, but I don't think they have the offense to uh, to go through 162 and hang with Minnesota and Chicago. Roger. Wow. Hey, Steve, uh, let's talk about the, uh, the the Rays and also talk about the NL East. And sure. uh, I heard a, a lot over the last couple of days that um, the uh, a lot of experts uh, on MLB uh, think that the Phillies have a very good uh, foundation starting uh, pitching uh, a group, and uh, they think the, uh, the the bullpen is good. How do you, how would you rank the uh, NL East now as we're in spring training so far? Well, it's it's tough, guys. I mean, it, it's a very tough division to try to get a to get a grip on. I mean, I like the Phillies, yes. I like Atlanta more than anybody, and, I, and Atlanta, they you know, it doesn't get a lot of the mm-hmm. uh, huge press that the other other teams do. I, I, it kind of bothers me that everybody just assumes that the Washington Nationals are going to rebound after a bad year, you know. And I'm not sure if Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg um, and uh, what's his name, um, Patrick Corbin, I don't know if they're anything more than just names on the back of the jersey. Now, I'm not trying to put them down, uh, but I don't know if they have that, that next level that they had uh, the World Series year. So I'm a little bit concerned that the Nationals might not be able to make that huge jump back up. And the Mets with Lindor and Carrasco and getting Syndergaard back, you know, they, and they have a really good offense. And then, you know, I, I, and, the, and of course the upstart Marlins have the pitching and they're trying to put an offense together uh, to compete. But I said to you guys last year, when I look at the Phillies, there's a couple things that bother me, and that was that bullpen. You fix the bullpen and you've got a top ten pitching staff, a top ten offense, you're a little uh, a little lackadaisical on the middle infield and center field defense, and that concerns me a little bit. But a full year of Alex Baum over there at third base, I mean that kid's a you know that kid's a, a bomber. Uh, Reese Hoskins, yeah. I'm hoping he's ready for opening day or for slightly after opening day. Hold on. Sorry about that. Nice no to have problem. a dog barking in the background. Um, so I do like the Phillies. I think the Phillies and Braves could, you know, could do a really good job um, um, battling each other for the for the top spot with the Mets right there, and then I put the Marlins and Nationals down at the bottom. Um, I'm just really interested to see, you know, Mickey Moniak. Can he play center field? Is is he ready for center field? Um, does Odubel Herrera have anything left? Can he go back to where he was before his problems uh, with the domestic violence and being uh, and then not, you know, playing in 2019 and then, of course, not playing in 2020. But we know he can go get it in center field. So that's, that's well, all. Steve, we're sort of lucky down here because, uh, you know, Fort Charlotte has the, uh, has the race in their new complex. And uh, so we get a lot of uh, opportunity to see the race play not only uh, uh, away from home, but also at home because, you know, a short jump from Sarasota over there. But at the same time, uh, I, I, I agree with you. I think they're all been better than the field. Uh, I, I love Joe Girardi. I, I wish him all the luck in the world. Uh, I hope he can make the Phillies competitive. Uh, the Mets uh, still have no center fielder, really, and they have no third baseman. Uh, I saw yesterday they are thinking about Franco, <laughs> Rogers' favorite third baseman. 
but uh, uh, you know, it just seems to be, you got to have defense. You got to have some defense. Yeah, the the Mets the Mets have, you know, they don't need to get a third baseman. They would love to upgrade a third base defensively, but they do have JD Davis. Uh, they do have Lindor. They do have um, uh, who's a multi-positional kid, Jeff McNeil at second. They do have Pete Alonso at uh, first. They've got James McCann behind the plate. They got Conforto, Nimmo, and Dominic Smith in the outfield. On their bench, they've got uh, Jonathan Villar. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on a minute. Just start. Just go back to Dominic Smith. I mean, oh, I he's a better first baseman than a left fielder. I mean, you're talking about, you know, oh, you're yeah, talking about a left. He's a better first baseman than he's a left fielder. But, you know, last year he played a very good for, uh, left field uh, for them. He wasn't a uh, he wasn't Kevin Mitchell out there in left field going grabbing a name from the past and really struggled in left field. He actually played a pretty good left field. And they were able what they were able to do with the DH is get Lonzo off first base sometimes and get Dominic over at first. The point is that offense can actually uh, put up a lot of runs. And then you combine that you know, mm-hmm. you combine that with a, a pitching staff that, you know, should prevent a lot of runs uh, just because, you know, they got uh, David Peterson and they got Jacob DeGrom and they got Carrasco and they got Strowman. You know, I'm not sure if Gazelman or whoever is going to be the f- number five. And then, of course, I think, they have the deepest pitch. I think they have the deepest pitching staff in the National League. Yeah. Yeah, they might. The Braves could probably – the Braves might be able to boast a little bit deeper overall depending on when Mike Soroka gets back. You know, if he gets back in early April, um, as they're, they're saying he might, and then you look at that Braves pitching staff, you look at that Braves bullpen, and you look at all the arms right. they have underneath, and you, you, that, that's why I'm so high on the Braves. You know, when I look at baseball in 2021, a traditional way of looking at a five-man staff, and this can go right into the Rays if you like, uh, you know, if, if teams are out there looking at a traditional five-man staff, um, you pretty much – I don't think that's going to work. And, you know, that's one of my concerns with the Braves. They put a lot of money into Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley, but you're not going to get a lot mm-hmm. of innings out of Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley. You know, so you're going to – you know, the teams that have the deep pitching, and I'm talking six, seven, eight um, starters, you know, between AAA and the big leagues and guys that are in the bullpen uh, working multiple innings, those are the teams that are going to have the most success in 2021. Those who went with the five-man rotation and a seven- or eight-man bullpen and don't have the depth at starting pitching are going to be facing an uphill battle. We, we all know the phrase, dog days of August. Well, the dog right. days of August are going to be really, really hard on our pitching staffs in 2021. Oh, that is, that, that's, not that's not good at all when you think about that, Steve. So, But I, you know, I, just, I can't believe it. Uh, one year ago tomorrow, the world sat still. I remember going to the, the hockey game that night, seeing the Flyers. I was taking him, a couple uh, clients down to the game, got the one phone call, sad phone call from Bill Wickes. Just turn around. No games tonight. So, one year anniversary. But I, I think it's great to, to see, you know, baseball and, you know, spring training games on TV, which I've been seeing people in the stands. They give Texas Rangers so much credit for putting people in the ballpark right now. And it's it's just, it's just going to be an exciting time of the year. And, and you know I picked for winning a World Series this year, Steve? I can go with the mm-hmm. hometown Tampa Bay Rays. Got to go with the Rays. Yeah, the, uh, the Rays of uh... – you know, the Rays, they're a really interesting team. Uh, 
they went the other way. They didn't pay uh, or not pay. They didn't go after starters um, and think of them as 150 inning guys. Mm-hmm. So right. when they traded, they traded Snell and they got Patino back, and he'll start the year in probably Triple A. Um, but you know he's major league ready, um, and they, and they let Charlie Morton walk, uh, which which uh, they could have had him for Dumb. 15 million. But they let him walk. Um, you know he pitched Dumb. 38 innings last year, so uh, that's that's not a lot of innings. But they went out and they got Chris Archer, you know, coming back from injury. They got Michael Walker. Uh, they're they're not looking to pitch six inning stints. You know he'll do three or four innings. They signed Rich Hill who's been successful, but, you know, he's coming off a year of throwing 35 innings, you know. Uh, they signed Colin McHugh, another multi-inning guy. So what they did was they loaded up, you know, two for one. So Archer, you know, Archer and Hill and Waka and McHugh will all, you know, rotate in and add to what they already have in the staff. And then they're mm-hmm. able to put guys like Brent Honeywell, you know, a prospect who's coming back. Brendan McKay will be in the minor leagues working his way back. Uh, Shane McClanahan, a top prospect, Joe Ryan, a top prospect, and a few other starting pitchers down in AAA that are ready to come up to the big leagues and help the Rays. We're going to have five to seven starters between their rotation and the bullpen at all times, and the Rays are going to try to get 100 to 110 innings out of a bunch of guys. Um, I think it's going to work, you know, because as these guys get worn down, or what's to say Chris Archer doesn't work, then you dip down to the minor leagues and you grab one of your young irons and you put them in the right. uh, you put them into the the rotation, you know, and you you don't burn your pitching staff out. So the old right. uh, the old Earl Weaver when he used to say you can't run your you can't run your horses hard um, all year because then when you whip them in September they won't be able to give you anything else, you know. Uh, the the old mm-hmm. Earl Weaver you know just you know keep pushing it but not not all the way and then at the end they'll have a little bit left in the tank. And I think when I look at the Rays, from about mid-August on, I think they're really going to be in good shape and and take the necessary step. Uh, Give me a number, Steve. Give me a number for for the season, 90, 89, 94. Give me a number. I'm I'm really conservative, and I I always look at who who teams are playing. So if I said to you, the Rays are going to win 91 games or 92. What's to say I said 92 games? You say, well, that's a step back from last year. Well, Toronto's improved. You play them 19 times. Boston will be slightly exactly. improved. You play them 19 times. The Yankees are going to be a little bit improved from last year. You're going to play them 19 times. And the division they drew again this year is a National League East. <laughs> you know? So if you're going wow. up against the Phillies' top three starters or you, you – draw the Mets top three starters or the Nationals top three starters and so on, you have a tough road to hoe. So this year, I'll give, I'll, I would give depressed win totals for everybody in the American League East. Meanwhile, in the National League Central, for instance, I would give, I would give a team like the Cardinals a really higher win total and maybe the Brewers and really because you get the bottom of that, that division is horrible. And same thing out west after the Dodgers and the uh, uh, Padres you take a look at the bottom three teams in there, they're, they're playing them 19 times. They should feast on those teams. So I'll say Roger. 92. Well, the, the, uh, the it'll, I think it'll, I agree with you. I think it'll be very interesting in the NL East, Steve, because it's probably the most uh, balanced uh, division in all of baseball uh, from top to bottom, really. 
And uh, it, I, I think it will be interesting to see how the Nationals uh, rebound and whether the pitching can, uh, uh, can hold up. Uh, the guy I really uh, am high on is Archie Bradley. And uh, yeah. I heard a, you know, a story today that uh, he, was recru- he was a uh, quarterback in college plus baseball, and he in, uh, or in high school, I should say, he and JT Riamuso were, uh, uh, were competitors. And uh, they both were high school quarterbacks that were recruited for college. But uh, uh, he was asked this morning uh, on the uh, Angelo Cataldi morning show, uh, you know, why he chose, or I guess he was asked that yesterday down in Clearwater. uh, Why did you pick uh, baseball over football? The money. (laughs) And the length of time you can play, Roger, the length of time you can play. You can play baseball. That's right. That's more money, Don. More money. Well, don't tell that. Let me go back to the National League West. How do you evaluate San Diego? Did they make enough solid moves? I mean, they keep trying to catch the Dodgers, trying to catch the Dodgers. (laughs) Did they do it this year? Are they in the same boat with the Dodgers or no? It'll be close. You know, the Dodgers still have, you know, you know, a great pitching staff. And they, you know, people, when I look at the Dodgers and I say, okay, Walker Bueller and Clayton Kershaw, and now you add in Trevor Bauer, uh, Urias, and you've got uh, Dustin May, and you, you, lay, you lay them all out there, Tony Gottsling, and then you go, oh, yeah, by the way, David Price is coming back this year. He sat out last year, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then you look at the Padres, and the Padres did great, you know. But Clevenger's out for the year. So you can't really include him in there, but they do have Darvish and Snell. Um, I think what hangs in the balance, and they got they picked up Joe Musgrove as well. And I think what really hangs in the balance, in my opinion, for the San Diego Padres, is if Denilson Lamette, who was very good last year, but had some elbow issues at the end of the year, and he's in camp and he's throwing well, if he stays healthy and Mackenzie Gore comes up, it is what everybody thinks Mackenzie Gore is. The Padres are going to be poised to. Uh, uh, to really make a run at the Dodgers. And wasn't it great, guys? I don't know if you heard this, but when Justin Turner signed with the uh, Dodgers, when he re-signed with the Dodgers, they said, hey, you know, you saw what San Diego did um, all offseason. He goes, you know, we plan on giving San Diego the 19 World Series games during the season. So the Dodgers and Padres are already geared up for a big fight, and it's really good. You know, I just hope that nothing interferes with it because – wouldn't it be great just to have a back and forth where the lead changes a couple times, even in September? I don't even remember oh, the last boy. time the Dodgers had to fight to get mm. in the first place out there. Maybe when the I Giants hope we get a lot of TV. I hope we get a lot of TV for the West Coast because uh, I think right. those two teams are going to be the dominant teams in the National League, and and I'm just uh, I'm just hopeful that San Diego can make a real run because they they've done it now two or three times where they've made big trades. Everybody speculated that they were going to, you know, really do something, and they never did. So uh, yeah. I, I hope I really, they... Go ahead. I really did not like, and I was on I was on a podcast with Bernie Pleskoff, who's a longtime scout, and he was really excited about the Padres' moves a few years ago when they picked up Kimbrell and they picked up uh, the Upton and, and Matt Camp and a whole bunch of other guys, you know. Right, and I said, I said, well, why would you do that? Those are just names on the back of a jersey. There's no cohesive attack there, 
And he said, you, you know, he told me, well, you got to sell tickets. You got to get these guys to sell tickets. And I said to him, I said, you know, I grew up in Cleveland. I remember the Indians signing guys like Keith Hernandez to sell tickets. He played 43 games in two years. You know, every time the teams <laughs> somebody, you know, I said, how many times do teams have to try to get players to sell tickets? It doesn't work. The Pirates got Chris Archer from the Rays because the fans were mad about Garrett Cole and um, McCutcheon being traded. That put the pressure on the uh, on the Pirates front office when they, you know, they got close to a playoff spot to make a move and bring in a name brand, and they went after Archer, and they gave up the farm for him. Now, what San Diego did after the mistake of the B.J. Upton and the uh, uh, or the Upton deal and the uh, Kimbrel deal is they sold off all the pieces and went into a long rebuild, and we're starting to see the fruits of that now. They're spending money to supplement the, the minor league talent that's coming up. I really think that this will be years. We see, we see the lead change in August. September, I don't know where it went. If you, if you want to lead the league in strikeouts, something's your guy. <laughs> Roger, you're up. <laughs> well, they, I just uh, – I, I agree, Steve, because I think it goes back I'm, – I'm old. And that goes back to uh, that Pirates-Reds trade of Frank Rob- Thomas. For Harvey Haddix and a cast of thousands. And that was the Pirates uh, World Series in 1960, all because of that trade. One for many, just like the Von Hayes, four for one. Okay? Those trades do not work out. I agree with you 100%. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that 60 Pirates team was was an interesting team. I I won't go into that. That was just an interesting team. (laughs) <laughs> you know, Von Hayes, remember the five, four for one for Von Hayes? <laughs> that was something. Well, yeah, we know that. He's going to be the next Ted Williams. <laughs> well, guys, guys <laughs> yeah, right. why I, you know, this is why when I tell people, when I talk about Rays baseball and the Blake Snell deal, and I say to them, you know, based on the talent that the Rays received, I said the front office would be negligent not to accept that offer when San Diego made it. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, all four players are very highly regarded talents. So you you kind of have to make that move. And if you don't, you're just being a stubborn front office. You know, you can't, you know, you can't fall in love with the 2018 Cy Young Award winning uh, Blake Snow. Right. You got to look at where he's been the last two years and, and you got to forecast yeah. what he's going to be in the next two years. You know, and then and you have to weigh that against the four players you're getting. And I think the Rays did a very good job. And if they would have said no, it, it just would have been out of stubbornness. Mm-hmm. Steve, give me the piece of resistance. The Yankees. We haven't talked about the Yankees, and oh man, oh man, I they got rosters. They got they got to make eight teams out of all the people that have this free training. <laughs> what do you well, think? I think they're really in trouble. Um, possibly with that pitching staff, put a lot of thought into it. Now, you've got, you know, they have arms in their bullpen, like Luis Sessa will be in that bullpen that can give you a little length. Um, Clark, uh, Clark Schmidt, the rookie, could come up in that bullpen and give a little length. And Davey Garcia should be in the rotation at some point. But he's another guy that can give them a little bit. But the rest of the rotation, it really it, it doesn't make sense to me how they went about it. You've got Garrett Cole, great. You've got your number one guy. I don't think he throws over 150 innings. When you have that much money invested to him, in him, you probably don't want to push him too hard coming off a light workload in 2020. Then you go to, you know, 
Then you go to uh, uh, Corey Kluber they bring in. He has, he's, he's got about 20 innings in the last two years. Jamison Tyon hasn't pitched in two years. You know, um, Luis Severino, your number two pitcher in your rotation, he missed all last year, and he's coming back from Tommy John surgery. Okay? So you start looking at that rotation. You say, okay, Garrett Cole, Severino, Kluber, um, you know, in the cast, and you start wondering what happens if player X gets injured or player Y gets injured, and you have to go to Davey Garcia, Clark Schmidt. You know, after Jordan mm-hmm. Montgomery, Jordan Montgomery and Garrett Cole are the only two guys that really have a foundation in Major League in 2020, and the rest is the bottom of that rotation. So they're going to need to score a lot of runs, and I and you can see that they have a lot of run capability with Clint Frazier in left and Aaron Hicks in center and Judge and Stanton and Luke Voigt and LeMayhew and Glaber Torres, you know, and uh, Gary Sanchez. They've got the they've got the bats to put out there on a daily right. basis, and for the Yankees to be successful, it's going to be. Uh, what they're going to try to do is score those five and a half to six runs a night and somehow get the ball over to with the lead to their bullpen. Losing Zach Britton didn't help. They traded out of Vino. Um, but you want to get Britton back there in early April, maybe mid-April. You want to get the ball to the back of that bullpen and hope that those guys – Hold it, hold it. You think you're going to get Britton back that quickly? He, he has a bone chip. Little... They took a bone he chips has, out yeah. there. Yeah, he, that's what Nate Eovaldi had as a starter. Uh, the date he got his surgery with Tampa Bay Rays as a starter, right before opening day in 2019, I believe. And he was back pitching in about six and a half weeks as a starter because they had to build him up over three starts in the minors. Now, that was building him up to being able to go five innings and 75 pitches. Um, so you figure normally a bone chip – surgery for a reliever would be three to five weeks. Anywhere in there, they should be back. Okay. Look, I thought it was going to be longer than that. Yeah. No, it could be. I mean, who, who's to say that he he's a slow – basically, when you get a bone spur taken out, the only thing that really shuts you down from throwing is how long does it take that scar to heal. The interior healing will, will be done much faster than the scar on the arm. So once that scar clears up, You'll start your 60, 90, 120 feet throwing program. Then they'll get you into a bullpen, and then they'll get you on the mound, and then you'll you'll cut loose. And you shouldn't, as long as nothing, you know, no, nothing pops open on your arm, like the, the scar or anything, um, and you keep the motion going, I would think you'd be back in four to five weeks. That would be my guess. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I, that's about where I'd put it. Okay. How about the Red Sox? Again, it's the pitching that scares me. I mean, yeah, by you know, by the end of the year, you could have Eovaldi and uh, Chris Sale and Eduardo Rodriguez and a few other guys, uh, but they're really a, they're really an awful off, uh, pitching staff. And I'm, I'm sure Heinblum's working on it, you know, but uh, they really don't have a lot of horses. Getting Eduardo Rodriguez back is really really good. That guy is a very very talented pitcher, and they've got Nate Eovaldi, who if he stays healthy. You know, he can at least get you two times through an order. He should never see an order the third time through. But uh, the first five, six innings, he's a very dominant pitcher at times. Um, After that, they're really – they don't have a lot in the pipeline. But they do have some exciting players like Jared Duran in center field. They do have, you know, Xander Bogarts and 
uh, Bobby Dahlbeck, you know, and, and uh, Raphael Devers and J.D. Martinez. So they've got an exciting group, and Christian Vasquez behind the plate. Another team that's probably going to look to score a lot of runs and somehow eke, eke out some victories throughout the year. But when you're in the division with Toronto, Tampa Bay, and New York, it's going to be hard for Boston and Baltimore to really make a step forward in 2021. Tommy? Hmm. Hey, interesting when you say that, because you know, we've thought the Yankees are this and that and the Red Sox up there and that, but but you know, I, I still think look at the you know like the Central Division of these the National League, Pittsburgh, St. Louis. You know, Milwaukee's always been good all those years. Who do you think is going to take it out of the National League Central between those teams, Steve? Well, the, the surprise would be Milwaukee. They're they're going to be about the mm-hmm. most competitive after St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis wow. is really loaded there with arms. He picked up Arenado, but that's just a complimentary piece. You know, not a complimentary piece, but. He just adds to the offense out there and what they have. You know, they have a, they have the Zhang at shortstop. They've got uh, – that pushes uh, Endelman over to second, Tommy Edmond. And then you've got uh, – uh, what's his name? Goldschmidt over at first, and you've got Arenado at third. That's a pretty airtight infield defensively with two big bats on the corners. you got Yadier Molina back. You know, and then you got a very athletic outfielder in Dylan Carlson, who should be a rookie of the year mm-hmm. candidate with – uh, Tyler O'Neill, with all the pressure in the world, is now off him. He could just go out there and try to hit home runs. And you've got Harrison Bader. So they've got a good foundation, you know, across the diamond. And then on the mound, they've got arms that are just – they're going to keep coming at you with arms. Uh, now wow. they got Adam Wayne right back, and they've got Kim and Nipolos. And um, in their bullpen, you know, in the back of their bullpen will be Alex Reyes. Carlos Martinez is back in the rotation. They have a lot of arms that come at you. Uh, that they, they discovered they have a lot of power arms in their bullpen, Giovanni Gallegos, Genesis Cabrera. So the Cardinals, to me, have a pitching staff that can outlast most of the teams in the Central over 162 games. They're, they should have a higher win total because the rest of that division after Milwaukee, who's, to me, is only around a 500 team um, unless they have everything break their way. Uh, Pittsburgh, <laughs> Pittsburgh's just absolutely <laughs> horrible. Um, they might try, they might not win they might not win 50 games guys. Uh, wow! In that you know, the, 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 a few years ago the Tigers went 47 and 114. I don't think it's ridiculous to think that the Pirates might be close to that or maybe win 50. They have nothing. On they do have one of the most <laughs> exciting players in baseball, and that's uh, Cabron Hayes. You know Charlie Hayes's kid. Oh, he my. is one oh, of the yeah. most exciting. Or Yankee. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, his kid is something special, man. When you have a chance to see, you know, if you're sitting around and you have a chance to tune into a Pirates game or you're watching the Phillies and Pirates, he's an exciting guy. But, look, they got rid of Josh Bell. They got rid of Jamison Tyon. I guess they got Mitch Keller. Uh, but they got rid of everything, guys. I mean, they just let it go. So, uh, and who else is in that division? Oh, the Reds. Uh, the Reds right. still have Sun Gray and Luis Castillo. Uh, but I don't know who else they really have. Uh, one of my favorite pitchers, Jose De Leon, is looking to make a big step forward this year. Um, I just don't have a good vibe with the Cincinnati Reds. They could be another team that if, if everything breaks right, they could have a better year. But I would say they're they're around a 500 team, and so are the Brewers. And, of course, they all might get an extra little win boost by playing the Pirates 19 times. <laughs> Roger? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. 
<laughs> you know, uh, when do you see, see or uh, that uh, the Pirates will be over the uh, the threshold and will be on an improvement uh, period? Is it the, uh, next year? Obviously, I don't think this year. No, no, they're, they're, they did what I can't stand teams to do, and that is, you know, they waited too long to make moves, and then they, you know, they look they would look a lot better if they had Shane Boz, Austin Meadows, and uh, Tyler Glass now on the roster mm-hmm. instead of, you know, trading all that for Archer. But, look, they're, they're in a situation now where they're going to lose 100 games a year, probably for the next two to three years. You know, oh, they've really gutted that. They've really gutted it out. And they don't have a farm system. You know, they don't have a farm system that's prepared for the gutting it out, you know. So it's not like they have four or five arms and bats from AAA that as they gutted the team are going to come right up and, and, and build a foundation, you know. They don't have it, and it's going to be a number of years. So I'm going to say over the next three years, if I was in Vegas putting down a bet, I would say that they'll lose 300 games over the next three years. Wow. You know, you were talking about Mickey Moniak. He was the number one pick, a high school kid, the yes. number one pick. And but they say, and I obviously haven't been to Florida. You guys are there. They say he has bulked up. And Joe uh, uh, Girardi said this morning that he's looking fantastic. So they're yeah. expecting big things from him. Yeah, you know, there's nothing more risky than taking a high school bat number one overall because you're really building a projection of what the guy could be you know, when he fills out and hoping that he follows that. We had the same thing down here with Tim Beckham, you know, high school. And, again, nobody, you know, nobody really banged. You can't say Philadelphia took the wrong guy because he was highly regarded by every organization at the time. You know, just like Tim Beckham was highly regarded when he was taken number one overall, you expected him to really fill out and be a shortstop, um, an everyday starting shortstop with the bet. And with Moniak, you know, you expected him to be a, you know, a power-hitting outfielder who could hit to all fields, you know, and, and bring a glove with them. But when you're protecting a high school guy, it's so difficult. It's, it's usually safer with the number one overall pick to, to grab a power, you know, to grab somebody in college or, you know, junior, you know from junior college, you know, and somebody right. a little bit more filled out so you don't have to project so much. It's such a gamble, though. It, uh, it's crazy. Steve, a broad what? question. With the way the minor leagues are going to be set up now, the numbers of teams, the numbers of players, the shortage number of players that they're going to have as opposed to other years, give us your overview from a statistical standpoint. What do you what do you think now of the new system and how many players are in the minor leagues and how much how are you are you going to lose players? Are you good players? What do you what do you think about the new system? No, good players always find you always find good players if you you know you look hard enough. I mean, you know, last year you saw a kid named Mikey Brasso hit a you know a homer off Araldis Chapman uh, to give the Rays a victory in a in a uh, uh, playoff game against the Yankees. Uh, Mikey Brasso has been in the Rays system for four years. That's it, and he was a uh, free agent signing out of Oakland College in Michigan. You know, nobody drafted him in, a, in all in all the rounds. Nobody touched him. And here he is just four years later entering his third year in the big leagues with the Rays. Um, the minor league system, you know, 
having fewer players is a good thing as far as the coaching that they're going to get and the personalization they're going to get. Now, right. a lot of other leagues have opened up, wood bat leagues, uh, scouting leagues, and that's going to that's going to mean that Major League Baseball needs to have eyes on these guys in these leagues, and scouting is going to come back like it was in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. You know, so the guy I told you about, Mikey Brassell of the Rays, now you're going to have to go find that guy playing in a wood bat league or playing somewhere and be like, look, we we think you have a nice swing, a power arm, come over to our team and we'll put you at one of our levels. You know, so I'll enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy minor league baseball. As soon as it comes back, I'll have it on my, uh, my, my laptop. I'll be going to games down here, even though I can't see a raised team because now they don't have the Fort Charlotte. Uh, the, the Charlotte Stone Crabs are no longer a raised affiliate in the high A league. So, right. um, I lose that little benefit, but I still have, you know, as you know, the Phillies are down here. I can go watch. And the Blue Jays uh, will be down here once the Blue Jays probably go back to Buffalo when the weather turns in June. How about Braves? They have a minor league team there too, right? First, is that, I believe so. I mean, first, May 1st? Ooh, May 1st for the Blue Jays? Yeah, it's either going to be May 1st or minor league baseball. Oh, for minor league, yeah. Right around the right around the beginning of May, and here it, it actually works out well that they, you know, at first it was going to be just the minor league, uh, the double A and below, starting in May, and they just pushed triple A back to starting in May, but they also have it ending in September, which they should do every year now because one of the worst things Major League Baseball ever did was cap these rosters in September at 28 guys, and right. I don't know if they realize how bad of a move that is. Now you have to have guys working out at the, your, your facility, not really playing in games. If you have to call somebody up, you have to hope that they're ready. And also, you know, not to get off on a tangent here, but just think about it. If you're a team and you're capped at 28 guys and you're the Pirates and you have a pitcher on your team on August 30th that's, you know, you, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year or you're going to non-tender him because you're not going to offer him a contract for the following year, you're going to release that guy on August 30th so you can have an extra spot to take a look at one of your prospects, you know? So you're going to have a lot of guys that are just going to be released, you know, veterans in August. It just doesn't make any well, sense. Well, I think two ways of looking at that, though, Steve. Uh, you know, you take, uh, going back to the those that have and those that do not have, uh, you know, you, you take the Yankee organization or someone, you know, the Dodgers or whatever, I mean, uh, you you extend the the roster beyond the twenty eight. I mean, holy smokes, they can make moves up and down the line that other teams just can't make. And and especially when it comes to pitching and and, uh, and defense, I mean, they can do things. Uh, I I just think it's an unfair balance to other teams to give the big teams a roster over twenty eight. Well, mm-hmm. the Tampa Bay Rays when they got in two thousand and nineteen when they went when they went to the playoffs. Okay. Right. Uh, they're not a they're not a have team. They don't have a big budget. They had all forty members of their forty man roster on up at the same time. All forty. Mm. You know. Now what you could do is you can always extend it to thirty three or thirty four, and then have, um, exchange a list of how many guys are in every night. You know, like a taxi squad. You know, right. anything other than just capping mm-hmm. it twenty eight. Usually you want to bring up a third catcher, 
in September. Yeah. Okay? So there's one guy. That's 27. And then you're going to bring up, what, another pitcher. That's 28. And that's it. You're done. You're capped at what you can bring up at one time. It's just, to me, it was a, it was a horrible idea. Uh, I, would, I would much rather, and I love seeing kids come up. I mean, you think about it. You're not making any money as a minor leaguer, and now you're getting, you know, the per diem, and you're getting your, you know, uh, you know, your major league minimum prorated right. for a day. That might pay for your entire housing the following mm. season, you know. And now you're taking that away from these kids, you know. And it's a good way to look at it. You know, good point. Big? Very good point. Very good point. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's, Roger? it just bothers. No, I, I I agree, Don. The uh, it is an excellent point, and uh, uh, I'm a big proponent of uh, minor league baseball. And uh, I I just I I was uh, mentioned last week. I knew you weren't with us, Steve. That I was over at the uh, now it's the uh, Gwinnett Anglers, the uh, Braves Triple uh, A. You know, used to be the Braves. Right. And yeah, they uh, the fellow told me there that uh, it was going to be May first that they had just announced that uh, they were going to be opening the season. So I can't wait to uh, – it doesn't take long to get over there, and it's really a nice uh, ballpark, nice area. I can't wait to get yeah. over and see some games. Yeah, it was interesting. I saw J.J. Cooper from Baseball America. He was uh, laying out some thoughts of people he had talked to in the minor leagues. And what was interesting is the minor league cities weren't upset about the AAA pushing off until May – because they said for these minor league facilities to create a profit on their product, you know, they need about the break-even point is around 20 to 30% capacity. Mm-hmm. And based on health codes in, in April, they weren't going to be able to get more than 12 to 10, 10 to 15% attendance mm-hmm. planned in April. So every game they would play in April at their park, the operators would lose money. Mm. You know, you've got to feel a little bit sorry for you. Got to feel a little bit sorry for the minor league facilities. For instance, the Yankees yeah. were in Trenton for years. Uh, Red Sox before them, they bailed out, yeah. of, and it's a relatively new and a terrific facility. I mean, it really is. And they went up to uh, to uh, up up the part of New Jersey. Okay. I can't think of the name of the town, but and and down in the. Uh, you know, down below Venice. And, uh, I mean, you know, the, there were a lot of minor league ballparks, uh, the Reading Phillies for so many years. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. these these people have these ballparks have just got no teams now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. North Carolina, the same thing. Yeah, you hope that these regional, you know, these regional areas, you know, you could you could do independent baseball and start a nice little independent league. Um, right. You know, and you can use the same stadium and, and have a game at, you know, game at like, you know, 6 o'clock every night, um, you know, maybe have two stadiums in use. And that will be interesting because, you know, the stadiums are there, but, you know, chances are the, the stadiums will get raised and condos will go in or something in these areas or an office park will go in mm-hmm. um, in these areas. And, of course, the cities will probably make more money off the office park and the tax revenues and, and all that mm-hmm. from it. So the city will probably – get to okay but the people that work there and the memories and as we know about sports and you know stadiums and funding you can never take away the memories uh you know i still think about old cleveland stadium as nasty and dirty as it was you know i still think (laughs) about it you know my 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 introduction to baseball was in that hellhole 
you know. Yeah. Well, Steve, I want to thank you very much for hanging with us a little bit longer than we anticipated. I hope your back is a little bit better. You've really been uh, laid up, I guess, with a with a back problem. So let's hope that cures itself. Yeah. And we'll get you on real soon again because information just flows during the time you're on. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thanks, Steve. Thanks so Don't much. Thanks, Steve. Baseball great. Talking baseball is great. I got a question for you Thanks. before we go any further. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you just say uh, the uh, Reading uh, fight and fills are uh, non-existent? That's right. No, I, yeah, I didn't. That's not. That's not what I'm reading. Well, I, oh, thought yeah, they, yeah, I thought they dropped Reading. Well, I don't know. The, I, I should say it. Okay. I see. What I'm concerned about is like you, but I'm concerned about these towns that uh, yeah, I think that they can get some ball players because look mm-hmm. at uh, Camden had that independent league. Uh, that's right. They have. You know, so you you know, like Steve was saying, you're going to be able to build rosters from independent players, okay? But well, Roger, you got to have people with money to support it. I mean, you you know, how many people come out to see uh, a minor league team? They couldn't do anything in Camden because nobody came to the games. Well, hey. well, that's right. Yeah, but that's because you were right across the river from a big league team. But Reading and I've been up to uh, Lehigh Valley. And matter of fact, our lodge is going to be having a. Uh, even though I'm here, they're going to be having an outing uh, to to uh, uh, to uh, Lehigh Valley. So uh, you know, I don't know. I I, I was uh, from what I had seen when I was living up there. They were still promoting the fight and fills. They may not be a Phillies uh, affiliate anymore. I don't know about that. But, well, well, anyway. well, just had to wait to see. I mean, you know, maybe I'm mistaken on that. I just thought that Reading was being one of the th- facilities that was being taken down. But we'll wait and see. And, but uh, once again, Steve, thank you very much. And yes. Doug Hamilton is back with us, ready to go. And first of with all, Doug, congrats, congratulations, a new job, director of yeah. golf. And give us yeah. all information on uh, the yeah. interviews and how you, how, how you came about and <laughs> And uh, give us a little background on what happened and what and the club you're going to. Oh gosh, I tell you, it's it's been a whirlwind uh, the last week or so. Um, you know, I think part of life is is timing and being in the right place at the right time. And um, you know, I would tell you, I don't know exactly where our our listeners uh, tune in from, but um, I would make the proclamation that if there are any uh, Hayfields Country Club members and or management team. I really want to thank them for uh, releasing me um, from my tenure there because I've landed a job uh, significantly better than what I had ever hoped for um, in yeah. terms of what I experienced there. Um, you know, um, I, I had one of my former members tell me that I should send the management team at Hayfield flowers for, for sending me packing. Um you know, because this is this is a great opportunity for me and my family, and I know that there were an awful lot of people rooting for me out there, and and um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to be the director of golf, the Woodhome Country Club is located in Pikesville, Maryland. It's uh, been there since 1927. Um, it has a very rich and deep tradition, um, you know, associated with the club and its cultures. Um, it's an incredibly wonderful golf course. Um, the members that I've met so far in the last couple of days have been incredibly nice. It's a 
probably, I would say it's 90 plus percent Jewish um, in its membership. Um, you know, it's in a, a growth phase um, in terms of acquiring new members, new business. Um, they've asked me to, to uh, run their golf operations for them in the hopes that um, I can bring some stability, um, some experience, some knowledge uh, to their program. Um, I have a bit of an uphill climb, I think, initially because of the late nature of the hiring. You know, it's obviously already March, and unfortunately the individual that was there before me had left, and uh, his entire staff had um, vacated the premises, so I have exactly zero people working right now other than myself. Um, I've been given um, the ownership of the golf shop, which is – a wonderful opportunity. Um, and I think mm. that, um, you know, I'm going through the stages of creating, uh, the LLC and in, in my small business, um, uh, which unfortunately takes, you know, a couple of days to, to iron out. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of things that come with that in terms of, you know, contacting vendors to establish credit and, and place orders. Um, you know, so I'm definitely behind the curve in terms of, of time, but, I'll get it all worked out. I always do. And um, I'm excited about, you know, all the things that come with this, the opportunity. Um, There's a really special feeling, I think, when you own your own business um, Mm -hmm. and put put your sweat sweat equity into, you know, picking the vendors and the products and stocking the place and and rotating the merchandise and and doing all the things you need to do to, um, you know, service your membership. Um, You know, the last couple of days I'm just trying to, get my feet wet and meet people and and understand, you know, where things are and, um, you know, what's behind this door and what's in this cupboard and, you know, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a very daunting task right now, uh, but I feel like a kid in a candy store and, and, um, you know, um, I'm a 46-year-old rookie at spring training here, I think, in in terms of, you know, how I actually feel. Uh, But I can tell you for the first time in a very long time, um, I am excited to put my feet on the floor every day and go to work and, um, you know, see what I can learn and, and accomplish. And, um, you know, it's very exciting. Um, you know, I can tell you that, um, the days are pretty long. Um, you know, the last couple of days of, of going to work and coming home, because like I said, I'm a one man show. I mean, I spent some time today, um, you know, I mean, I don't have any outside guys working. So, I mean, if we have people that play golf, Doug has to pull carts out. Doug has to wash carts. Doug mm-hmm. has to put range balls out. Doug has to pick the range. Doug has to work inside and ring people up. I mean, I'm doing everything right now, and yeah. it's very difficult. And, um, you know, I've got um, a couple guys that I think are going to come with me from another facility that I've made an offer to that I'm excited to, to have join my team. and. Yeah. Um, you know, for the last couple of days, I've been walking around with a notepad trying to take some notes on, you know, some things that I'd like to change or, you know, certainly make improvements upon. And, and, and that's going to take some good people around me to help me, uh, you know, take care of all that kind of stuff. So, um, so how close are you? How close are you to the old club and how close from a transition standpoint from your home to go to the old club and from your home to go to the new club? Close proximity yeah. or what? Yeah, no, it's it's a little closer. I mean, my drive to the Oval Club was about an hour. This one's 
um, 40 minutes. So I'm, I'm saving, you know, some time every day. Um, I would say proximity wise from where I work to where I used to work is about a half an hour. Um, right. you know, and, and to be honest with you, Don, I've had, um, a number, a great number of my old members who have gotten in touch with me via text or phone or some in person to wish me well and congratulate me right. for, um, you know, um, making an improvement, um, in my career, um, for the sheer fact that I'm going to own my own golf shop. I've had a number of my old members reach out to me to, um, want to shop with me. Um, I've already acquired, uh, one outing from an old member. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, excited about bringing business to the new place. Um, mm-hmm. it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful feeling that, you know, the, at least the old membership, um, liked me, um, you know, I can I can say humbly that they love me and that they want to still continue to support me moving forward. Um, and I think that's a testament to, you know, look, I don't know. Again, we have an awful lot of listeners, but you know, when you, when you do the right things in life in terms of of how you treat people um, and the things that you stand for, um, that karma comes back, you know, just as well as as negative karma does. So, I'm very proud that I stayed true to myself over that period of time and did the right things. And to be in this position to move forward uh, with that support is tremendous. Roger? Doug, I've got a number of questions for you, okay? Um, Number one, RG, I told him about your new job, and uh, and he told me, you know, it's about 25 miles from, uh, you know, where where you were. And uh, Uh – but the uh, questions I have is, in your position now with your title, Mm -hmm. uh, is there there a – a PGA uh, a golf pro, does he report mm-hmm. to you? Is there one there, or do you do everything yeah. in, the, in that? And then you own the well, golf shops. You own the uh-huh. inventory. You hire, fire. Do you, and yep. do they still pay you a salary for doing all the other work? Yeah, no, I mean, it's um, there's a lot of, lot of stuff going on here. So uh, first and foremost, I would tell you that, um, that Roger did reach out to me, uh, on LinkedIn to congratulate me. And I replied to him Good. and, um, that was, that was wonderful. Um, that meant a lot to me, uh, that, that he would do that. Um, so I am a, a salaried year round position. I run all of the golf operations, um, inside and out. Um, the golf shop is, is just kind of icing on the cake when it comes to, um, you know, essentially it works two ways. And I mean, number one, they, they obviously want me to have my expertise in, in, in picking products and vendors and, and assortments, but at the same time, they don't, they don't necessarily want to deal with it um, in terms of, you know, paying the bills and, and making the orders and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, that, that's 100% mine. Uh, so any, any profits mm. I make on uh, the golf shop at the end of the year, uh, go on top of the salary they pay me. Um, I do have full autonomy to uh, hire and fire. I have a budget that I can spend any way that I want. Um, wow. You know, and I will, the reason, Roger, that I titled myself as the director of golf, and that was my choice, uh, was mm-hmm. because I'm so late in the game here, being as it's March and the season is essentially two weeks away, I knew that it was going to be difficult for me to acquire staff, and so I wanted to hire my own head golf professional uh, for two reasons. The first of which is um, if I could find a first assistant at another club that wanted the title of head golf professional, uh, it would be a dangling carrot for him to make a leap. Uh, or yep. um, scenario number two would be if I found an experienced head golf professional 
he would likely move sideways and not to lose his title, um, and I could acquire him that way. So I thought it would be my best opportunity to um, populate my staff in that fashion, um, and I think that's going to be what gets me who I want. Uh, so I think it was that's, a good move. That's a good way to go. Absolutely. I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. The, uh, I, I think, you know, that way you hire your own guy, and yeah. uh, and yet he still is the uh the 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 pga uh professional right. you know it's, for sure. it's the club but he reports to you that's great yes. congratulations and mm-hmm. you know what there's there's an awful lot to do um you know in terms of um you know servicing that membership with uh teaching and club repair and merchandising and tournaments and um you know i i need an experienced set of eyes um i think in this case to make a real difference there and uh, give those uh, members a, a complete experience that I think they've they've wanted for several years, but maybe were um, so my research finds that they were neglecting and getting. So, um, you know, I, I don't do anything halfway, and I think that I'm really focused and intent on making a difference at that facility because it's a wonderful place and it just needs a little love and someone who's passionate mm-hmm. about uh, what they can bring. And I'm that's me. So, Tommy. Well, that's a congratulations, Doug. I prayed for you every day. I said a candle last Sunday in church, and that's best as I heard all year ago. Congratulations about that. And it's, thank God you're still the director of golf. You can still give a golf tip for every week. That's so ecstatic right. about that. Yeah, that's true. And well, I, I got to tell you, you know, I, I've met, um, you know, for anybody who's never experienced either a career change or just a, a flat out change in jobs. Um, you know, I was on autopilot for 16 years, you know, at Hayfields Country Club because I knew the place inside and out. I knew the members. Right. I knew their kids. I knew their wives. I knew their families. I knew their dogs. I knew. I mean, I knew everything about that place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, to, and to have a fresh start, I mean, obviously I, I have a lot of learning to do in terms of the new membership. Um, but the time that I've spent on this show has, I think, in many cases prepared me for a lot of unknowns. And the ability right. to... Um, you know, have you guys fire questions at me was incredibly helpful during the interview process. I felt very comfortable. Um, And then also to have the ability to strike up conversations with people that you've just met and be able to make some version of connection or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, valid points with them, I think in large part is what I do on the show in terms of of questions you ask me and and responses that I give you. So, um, you know, it's, right. it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful training uh, for me, and you know, unbeknownst to me, obviously during a period of time that I didn't have a job, I was I was still bettering myself by coming on the show and and being a part right. of it. So, um, yeah, uh, it's good stuff. Thank you. You're always a part of the show, Doug. You know that. <laughs> so, any any major tip of the week for the northern golfers out there for the first time they get the clubs out? What should they What should yeah. they expect, or should they go to the range first? Gosh, I know we. Um, well, the, the facilities that I've investigated thus far, um, there's there's some indoor uh, facilities at um, at one home that have the the heated hitting bays that you can uh, roll up the doors and hit out of. And I've seen a lot of of the members, um, you know, coming out to hit range balls and just kind of knock some of the rust off. And um, you know, the cool the cool part is that when members come up, like I said, I'm a, I'm a one man show, so I'm meeting people, and then I've got to go you know, find their golf bag in, in storage uh, with the system that's in place. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm starting to 
look at some of their clubs and I'm like, gosh, you know, they're, they're dated or they don't have head covers or their grips don't match or they don't, they're missing a club here in terms of what, you know what I mean? So, you know, it, it brings me back to, to some of the basics of, um, you know, um, you know, every, every good carpenter, every good construction guy, they have a, a complete toolbox, you know? So I think you, you first and foremost, you got to have the right tools from, from your set, um, you know, from year to year or many years, it's, it's always good to, um, you know, make make replacements to your wedges that don't have grooves, or uh, to mm-hmm. insert a club that maybe um, you know you have a, a gap in your distance. Or, you know, I've always said, you know, just simply get, you know, if you're not looking to spend a whole lot of money, just get your daggone clubs regripped every couple of years, um, mm-hmm. you know, and go that route. Um, so, you know, it, there's there's many things out there, and and we're looking to to kind of start a new season and. You know, from that membership standpoint, I'm I'm trying to get a feel for the people that I see in terms of the clothing they're wearing and the clubs they have in terms of how I'm going to make my decisions to stock products into that golf shop. Um, so mm. I'm I'm learning a lot. I can tell you that. Well, it's pretty over to your, your other love, the the Ravens. Uh, we're getting close yeah. to, the, to the you know looking ahead to the draft. The uh, Mm-hmm. Please the label on one player that they want to keep and and not let him get out of the picture. Uh, what yeah. are the Ravens doing the last couple of days before things break out? Yeah, I mean I know that the um, salary cap was announced, I believe, by Roger Goodell, which is a significant decrease from what it was last year. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot of teams scrambling to kind of sure up their rosters with regard to. Um, signing people to extensions or restructuring contracts or flat out releasing people. Um, I know the Ravens uh, tendered uh, Gus, Gus Edwards to uh, keep him on the team in hopes of maybe reaching a, a longer term deal with him. But I, I think they have to truly investigate the nature of the roster um, and some of the top end um, salaries that they're paying um, guys like Calais Campbell, I think are still effective uh, defensive players, but um, he, he makes too much money, and they're going to have to figure out, you know, a way if they want to keep him to restructure that deal. Um, you know, I think that um, Ronnie Stanley had a secondary uh, uh, surgery, um, I think maybe to his ankle or something, uh, based on the injury that he had, and I don't know that he'll be ready uh, right away. I think that um, Orlando Brown has. Um, had permission to seek a trade because he wants to be a left tackle, not a right tackle. Um, if Ronnie Stanley is going to be hurt, they can certainly play Orlando Brown in the Ethereum. I, I see this playing out as them trading Ronnie Stanley to, to shore up that money because they have some other needs in terms of their defense. Um, you know, they've always been good in the draft, and I know that you know they'll use their picks you know wisely to fill positions they need. Um, certainly, they need some help in the wide receiver in the back end of their secondary and the safety. They've always needed a pass rusher because they've got a couple that are probably going to be too too expensive. Um, so there's a lot of work for them to do in this off season to to get themselves back into hey, contention. Hey Doug, they get a a, a couple of compensatory uh, picks. They get mm-hmm. one in the third round, number forty one, mm-hmm. number, uh, and that would be uh, uh, one hundred and four. Yeah. And um, you mm-hmm. know, and then they also get one in the fifth round, uh, mm-hmm. and that would. 183. So, you know, there's mm-hmm. uh, at least that third round uh, could have yeah. good possibility. Well, they, they traded their um, original third rounder uh, for, to, I think, to Minnesota for uh, Yannick Ngakwe and um, whether they had, 
you know, designs of acquiring that, that uh, compensatory pick or whether that was just a crapshoot, I don't know. But, um, you know, that certainly helps them uh, to fill that, that third-round pick. Um, and they've always been proficient um, in those middle rounds, finding players that uh, maybe not have helped them the first year and been, been immediate impact players, but have at some point, um, you know, Judon and, and guys like that, um, Pernell McPhee originally um, were later around draft picks. So um, Eric DaCosta has a very good scouting team that, that um, you know, scours you know, the ends of the earth to find players that can help them. Um, so, I mean, their special teams has always been strong. Um, offensively, they were talking about extending Mark Andrews to keep him around. He's a fabulous tight end. Um, they're going to get Nick Boyle back from, from injury, um, and they'll probably have a little bit of money to spend in free agency, but likely they'll keep most of their own as opposed to making a splash. I think they probably want to find another wide receiver, um, you know, to help them because you know, I don't think they're bringing Des Bryant back, but more a more kind of uh, red zone bodied kind of guy. Uh, they were looking at Kenny Galladay and, and guys like that that were bigger receivers. Um, so we'll see what they do. But, you know, like I said, they have some work to do in the off season for sure. We talked in the first half hour about golf with uh, Tony Leodore, who has his own golf show. What did did you think about what happened this weekend? (laughs) When you you talk about DeChambeau, what he did, uh, how he challenged himself, how he challenged the crowd, what he means Mm -hmm. to golf right now. Uh, Just some of your observations on what happened this last week at at Arnie's course. I mean, he's won eight times, um, great young player, uh, brings something super special to the game with how far he can hit it. Uh, being a bigger dude, I mean, a lot of those guys are waif-like. Um, so um, he's got an incredible, unique, eccentric personality. Um, I'm not going to rightfully say that it's time to pass the baton. Um, yeah, look forward to it. Hey, 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 hang on, guys. Frank just said tick, tick, tock, represents a clock. Doug, thank you, thank you for coming yep. on again. Congratulations on that job. I, thank you. I've been praying for you, been praying for you mm-hmm. my man. Mr. Henderson, as always, a pleasure coming on. Have a great week. Mr. Hendler, great week. Great show. You great too, week. Tommy. Have a good week coming on. Congratulations. Thank you, Tommy. boys. Frank, another great job. I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to talk about that 50th anniversary of the Fraser <laughs> Fight that, right. uh, we'll do that next we, week, we try to get a couple. We try to get a couple people to, to join us, but we just couldn't get it worked out. Oh, but we'll talk about we'll it next week. Muhammad Ali and Joe Fraser, fiftieth uh, anniversary mm-hmm. was two couple days ago. Wow, Don, thanks for coming on again. I'd like to thank Mr. Roy Cummings, uh, of course, uh, Doug Hamilton. Congratulations on a nice, a nice job and a great, great job. Well done, and also we had the. Um, the Don's friend for the golf for the golf radio show, and I and I'd like to thank Steve Cancel CVK for coming on, and most of all Frank from my family, your family. Great job at, at your end. Have a safe and happy week, and and be safe on the highways, guys. When you're in the, the special greeting, just be be ten or six feet apart, guys. And Frank is such a sad day tomorrow. How this thing, damn thing started. So we accomplished one year. The best is up to come. Frank, God bless you and your family, and have a wonderful night. Thanks, Tommy. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women of police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please let them know you're there. These are very, very tough times in, in 
for law enforcement and as well as men and women in uh, foreign lands. Uh, these programs dedicate to those who lost their lives in line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Bainter, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Lieutenant Mike Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman and Officer Crispin, Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hugo, Longwood County Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian, Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrol and Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Robert Robert Germain, Windermere, Florida Police Department. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Hillsborough County, Deputy Sheriff Charles Cotluff, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Roddy Bond, Delaware State Police, <coughs> Captain Chris uh, Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, FDLE Special Inspector, Vinny Galaccio, uh, Delaware State Trooper, Corporal Stephen Boward, Patrol. Uh, Sergeant Sam Howard, Kissimmee Police Department. Patrolman uh, Matt Baxter, Kissimmee Police Department. Captain Matt Latona, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Bill Gentry, Island County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Clay Zerba, Clay County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Evo Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department. Uh, Officer Bob McKetchen, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department. Uh, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Sergeant Brian Levate, uh, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, and Deputy Mike Malik, uh, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, though, you may be 10-7 at this time. Sometime will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord until the time. May the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of his hands. Good night, God bless, and have a great week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.